Hello and welcome to Faithbrook and Happy New Year. My name is Eric and I am the next gen pastor here at Faithbrook and I lead our children and student ministries here. We're so excited that you came and joined us in worship today, whether here in person or online. If you are newer here, we would love for the opportunity to connect with you and to get to know you better. In the chairs in front of you, there are some blue connection cards that you can fill out and drop in one of the offering boxes as you leave the sanctuary, or you can fill out an online card on our church website. Well, our mission here at Faithbrook is to lead people into a new and thriving life in Christ. And one of the best ways to do that is through being in an intentional community. When you're in one of these intentional communities, you have the opportunity to grow alongside other people in your faith, to be held accountable, and to just go through all this stuff that's life together. And that's why we encourage everyone at our church to be part of a life group. Life groups are small groups that typically meet in someone's home. They try to pick each other up when things are low and celebrate with each other when we're going through the highs. And through all this, they're also deepening their faith through discussions and other conversations. You can find all of these life groups on our Church Center app or on our website. Many of these are starting up soon, so we encourage you to go on there and find one that works best for you. You will also find different community groups based off of interest or stages of life that you can check out as well. Well, let's welcome Pastor Jim Comfort as we begin our new series, God Strong. Well, over the holidays, my family introduced me to a movie called Jumanji. Uh, I don't know if you heard of that, or at least the remake of Jumanji. And the whole movie is about these teenagers that get trapped in this virtual um, uh, video game, this jungle video game, and, and they have to uh, equip themselves with these new characters and new identities and get used to who they are. The main character is this teenage boy. He's kind of a scrawny, kind of nerdy guy, doesn't think much of himself, and all of a sudden his, his body gets transformed into Dwayne Johnson, of all people, the rock, right? And so he's like, who am I now, and how do I operate this guy? And they're all trying to piece together these new uh, resources and blessings that they have to work together to overcome and get through these challenges and eventually get back to their real life. Well, through the movie, they realize they can do more when they see themselves differently. And that's where we're going this Sunday as we start our new series this winter called God Strong, reaching our full potential in Christ Jesus, God Strong. See, I have a feeling a lot of times uh, our spiritual life is not very strong. Uh, we just kind of settle for mediocrity when it comes to our spiritual life. We got other things that we're trying to improve, and, and uh, our spiritual life just kind of on the back burner. And we never learn uh, our full potential of what Christ has for us in our life. And so we have picked the letter or the book in the Bible called Ephesians. It's an amazing book. In the next eight weeks, we're going to be just going almost verse by verse if we can, discovering how God wants to reach us to reach our full potential in Christ Jesus. There's all kinds of little uh, topics in this, this letter, from uh, our family matters to our employment matters, our faith level matters, our personal uh, level matters. 
And I want to encourage you to uh, lean into your full potential that Christ wants in your life. And this can apply to everyone, whether you're a veteran Christian, brand new Christian, baby Christian, everything in there we can learn to grow stronger and healthier in our spiritual life, especially for this new year. Let me give you a little bit of background about um, Ephesus. This is the city, um, this church called the Ephesian people. It all started in the first century uh, by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a new convert uh, when, when Pentecost happened. If you know your Bible in Acts 2, um, Jesus ascended to heaven. Here's these Christian followers. Uh, Jesus, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit floods on them. They just catch on fire, man. They are bold. They want to be witnesses. They're full of love. They're going to different people, and they're sharing about this good news that faith and salvation is through this Jesus guy who rose from the dead, and all these pockets of Christianity and churches start popping up. Well, one of the converts was this apostle Paul, and he wanted to take this good news, this gospel, outside of his Jewish culture into the Roman culture, the Gentile culture. And so he gets on the pilgrimage, and he's going all through the Mediterranean area preaching and starting these new churches. Uh, they say that he started around 14 different churches on his missionary journeys. We considered Apostle Paul uh, the first kind of missionary. In fact, um, as he was writing these letters, uh, they were found, uh, archaeologists would find these letters, and the, between the Gospels of the four Gospels and the epistles, the letters of Paul, they form our New Testament book. And the truth of the matter is a lot of the New Testament is written by this Apostle Paul. And a lot of it is these correspondence to these churches that he started. Because at one time, the Apostle Paul could be there, be the pastor there. But now he, he finds himself in Rome. He's under house arrest. They feel like he's a threat to the empire. So he has to just kind of be locked down. Meanwhile, he's getting a lot of, of correspondence through these churches. They're asking questions. They got some issues. And he's writing them back. And so these are the letters of these books of the New Testament that we get to look at how they apply to the first century Christians and also to us in this century. And one of his favorite churches is the Ephesian people. He got to spend three years with the Ephesian people. They're a pretty healthy church, but now he's a little worried about them. They will live in a very secular society. Uh, Ephesus was a well-known city in the Roman Empire. There was a couple of trade routes that went through there. They had this massive amphitheater. A lot of tourists came through there. So it became a political, economic, even a religious center that, that it was an upcoming city. In fact, there was the Greek goddess Diana's temple outside the city. People would go there to worship. She was the Greek goddess of fertility. So all of a sudden, um, Paul's like, man, these, these people are probably not the majority. Uh, everyone else is just kind of doing their thing sexually or religiously. And here, uh, my little group of Christians, they finally feel kind of weak. They're probably not very strong. So he's going to write this letter to help them be strong in their faith and mighty in power. He worries that there's also some false teachers that are kind of getting in and teaching his, their people, his people, uh, muddying the waters of what Orthodox Christian faith is in Christ Jesus. 
Uh, Paul has a big brain. He understands the titanic conflict between good and evil. It's just not little ticky-tack stuff, but also there is the evil forces that want to uh, deceive and to crush these people. At the same time, there's God's spiritual forces that are waging war, and we'll get into that in chapter 6 about the principalities uh, that we live in even in today. And so he wants them to thrive. He wants them to be strong, and especially to grasp who they are in Christ Jesus. This is the foundation. So this is where he starts in chapter one. In the first verses one and two, if you want to look in your Bible or your digital Bible, he gives greetings. He calls them holy people and he's kind of encouraging their faith. And then he gets right into it in verses four and six when he says, he, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. This is God's heart, that the purpose for humanity is really to reflect who Christ is, to be holy. We, we get a clue of this in Genesis where it says that every human was created in his image. God is a spiritual being. God is holy being and is love. We created that. Most people haven't discovered that. They just think they're, they're flesh, their intellect, right? But there's a spirituality about us and to reflect who he is. So right away, the apostle Paul's like, hey, if you're wondering what, why you exist and you want a purpose in your life, Here's the purpose for your life, man, to reflect Christ. Now, when we look in the Bible and see these words like um, uh, holy and blameless, that's kind of intimidating. Holy, we're like, whoa, um, I don't feel holy, uh, but God is holy, blameless. That's like without blemish, perfect. I don't feel uh, perfect, but holiness is basically living like Christ. In fact, the word Christian many times can be interpreted as, as little Christ. Can we live as Christ or live Christ-like? Can we kind of uh, have a fully devoted heart that our purpose in life is to reflect Christ, no matter what our occupation is, no matter what our passions or our hobbies is, whatever we do, can we reflect and live like Christ in a holy manter. And by the way, can we do it halfway consistently to be kind of blameless? That someone in our school, someone in our peer group, someone in our workforce would say, you know, there's someone who claims to be a Christ follower and they're pretty consistent. <laughs> yeah, they have grumpy days, right? They have some, some weaknesses, but they're blameless. They're consistent. There's some integrity in their life. Look at them. So if we, can, if we can't do anything, well, at least we can try to be little Jesuses. We can be little Christ living holy and blameless. There's our purpose, and that's important, why we exist. And then he goes on and talks about their identity. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So we're just going to unpack this a little bit because there's a lot of good uh, life-giving truths in this scripture right here. For instance, he says he chose us. So on purpose, in God's mind, he chose you and me. That makes us kind of special. It wasn't an accident. There is an intentionality. Before even creation, he has a plan for our life. And that plan is to be holy. So if there's a couple of people that can live like Jesus and reflect him and do it consistently, this is his purpose. And then in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Now that word adoption's a big deal. 
Some of you know what that kind of means. That's a legal term. Adoption is different than fostering. Adoption is different than befriending. Um, we are kind enough that if our neighbors have kids, have some problems, we'd bring them in. Fostering is kind of temporary care. But adoption is a whole never level. When you adopt someone, that is, that is legally saying you become family. Everything we have is yours. We are all in when it comes to adoption. Whatever the sacrifice, whatever the commitment is, whatever the cost, you are mine. I adopt you. This is the heart of God that says, I choose you. I'm going to adopt you no matter the price. Before you even knew it, God's thinking that way. He's going to choose and adopt you. It kind of reminds me of my sister Jane of several years ago. Him, her, my sister and husband was struggling with having kids. It's around 2000, and um, they're like, wow, what, what does God want for our life? We seem not to be able to have a child, um, and then maybe it's adoption. And so there's a lot of agencies, there's a lot of options out there. And back then, they heard about this real big need in Ukraine, uh, that there was a lot of kids, orphanages, full of these kids without parents. About that time, Ukraine was breaking off from the mother country of, of Russia, and there was a lot of poverty and uh, conflicts, and parents were just kind of giving up their kids. And so these orphanages are full of these kids, and, and the word got out to America, hey, you come over here. You don't need an agency. We'd like to even meet you. So if you uh, pay the price to fly around the world, go through all the legal hoops, right? We, you can pick out a kid and adopt a kid from Russia and bring them back home. And so they felt like this is what God wanted for them. And so in my sister's mind, she's like, well, I would love to have a little infant a baby and, and to raise. And so they, they flew into Kiev and they got on a taxi or something. They took them an hour west in this little town. And they said, well, let's take you to these orphanages and these big, ugly looking kind of monasteries. And they're up here and over here in this one is where we keep the boys. <clears throat> and they walked in there in a the room, of 20, 25, little two-year-old, three-year-old boys crawling around, crying, playing. And, and here they are. Um, we would like for you to take one of these. And by the way, here's here, this kid over here crying. His, his name is Uri, really, uh, uh, he, and he's struggling because nobody's wanted to adopt him. And they're, they're like, well, yeah, he's not an infant. He's like a two and crying. And yeah, he, nobody's wanted to adopt him. Would you think that? And, and they're looking at him, and, but why don't they want to adopt him? Why don't they people choosing him? Well, he comes with sisters. He has two other sisters across the street, and they're in that orphanage, and they're older. They're like three and five, and, and everybody wants a little bit baby. And my sister's telling me that her husband, um, who wasn't really a child kind of guy, he, he's kind of tough, right? And all of a sudden, he just, he just starts weeping, and his heart starts softening, and he just falls in love with this little two-year-old boy and just says, we'll take him. We, we want this child. And my sister's like, I, 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 we are really talking. And if they're sisters, and we'll take the sisters. My sister goes, what? <laughs> oh, oh, okay. And so they instantly have to wrestle with this. They're like, do you know how much more that's going to have to cost us to adopt three of them? Do you understand what the size of our house is and the mouth we're going to feed and all the complexities and stuff? But God compelled them to choose these three adorable little scrawny, malnourished orphans, kids to say, you're coming with us. We will pay the price to adopt you in our family and parent you for the rest of our life. This is what the Apostle Paul is trying to convey for these 
uh, um, Ephesians and for us today. What does that do for our identity? What does that do for our self-worth? How do we view ourselves when we realize that God chose us, that we're not trash, we're not a mistake, no matter what our pastor said to us or people have said to us, that there is a value to us. And our self-worth all of a sudden becomes higher. Because self-worth is not so much about possessions or accomplishments. Yes, they temporarily kind of puff it up. But really self-worth is how we feel about ourselves. How we view ourselves. In fact, back to that Jumanji movie, that's what they had to deal with. These characters got transformed into this video show. They, they struggled figuring out they were different people. In fact, in that show, they, they would hit their chest and all of a sudden this graphic would come up and it would just kind of give them their bio, who they are now. That, that here's your strength, here's your title, you're Dr. So-and-so and you're Mr. So-and-so and you can do this and do that. And they're like, really? I'm not used to doing that. I'm used to this mindset, but you're telling me I got these resources, these powers? Yes, you do. If you're going to go to the next challenge, you're going to get out of this game, you have to embrace all that you are now. This is your new identity. And because they started embracing that and working together, next thing you know, they're overcoming. They're winning the game. They're winning the game. See, embracing our true identity and purpose in Christ helps us reach our full potential. Oh, okay. Where well, I'm more than I think I am because God has chosen me. He's loved me. He is predestined. That word predestined means that there is a foreknowledge. You know, in Christian um, land, a lot of the theologians battle about that word predestined. Uh, predestination means something is predecided, something is pre known. And some Christians believe that that means in God's mind, He pre selects certain people to become Christians. That really, you don't have much choice. It says that you're going to make it. And sorry, Charlie, you're not selected because he's already predecided. And the re word predestination is kind of in the, in the New Testament a, a lot. Well, there's other verses that counter that. Uh, that says, hey, if anyone believes in Christ Jesus, anyone confesses, if anyone opens up their hearts, anyone. And that's how we kind of see it. But predestination also means that there is a vision there is a pre-planned thinking of how things are going to happen. In fact, my sister and brother-in-law, when they're over there and they're getting these kids on this plane and they're making the decision that they're going to adopt these kids, in their mind, they have already predestined what their life is going to look like. If you're a parent, you predestine your kids. They didn't even know you're dragging them home. You're like, kid, me and my, my spouse are going to do all we can to make the best life for you. Uh, and my sister and brother-in-law, you know what? We already predestined what color your bedroom's going to be. We already predestined that we're going to be there uh, to buy you clothes. We're going to predestined that, man, we're going to take you to school and we're going to help you through school. We're going to predestined to give you a birthday party. We're going to predestined to help you with friends. We're going to predestined to be with you at the doctor's appointment. And the chips are down. Your parents are going to do. You don't even know this, but we know this because you're predestined. This is how much we love you and see you in your life. Now, every person and every child has a decision to make if they're going to embrace what their parents' predestination is. God has predestined, but we still have to make the choice to lean into it. We still have to make the choice to embrace his vision and his picture for us. We can reject it and say, we don't want to live that way. Thanks, but no thanks. We'll do our own thing. But embracing our true identity and purpose in Christ Jesus helps us reach our potential. 
And Paul continues, he tacks on in accordance with his pleasure and will to be the praise of his glorious grace. Now let's not gloss over that word with his pleasure and will. It is God's pleasure to see us embrace our full identity in Christ Jesus. It's God's pleasure to see us get strong in our faith. It's his, it was almost his pleasure to die on that cross if we would wake up. Now, if you grew up in church and you've been around preachers, you'd hear them say a lot of times that God loves you. God loves you. I, I have heard that all my life, God loves you. But maybe privately, secretly, I'm really asking, but I don't know if God likes me. I know that he kind of has to love me, okay? Uh, that's his nature. But I don't know if he wants to hang out with me because I got some weirdness. I got some ugliness, right? I got some weaknesses. And I don't know if he would choose me. He would choose someone else because they have more strengths and talents, but he doesn't really like me. Well, the Bible tells us that his pleasure is with his pleasure and will. He does like us, that he has given us his glorious grace. This word grace is what, we, is what God did for us that we can't do for ourselves. It's what we don't deserve. And he, he exemplifies it by the adjective of glorious grace, which he has freely given to us something free, something expensive in us, in the one named Jesus, he loves. Giving something expensive and free. This is what the freely given has been about. I kind of, I'm thinking about, um, have you ever been given something really expensive that maybe you feel like you don't deserve or what am I doing with this? It rarely happens. It's kind of like, um, here's an illustration. Uh, how many of you know what Lifetime Fitness is? Uh, some of you might be members. I'm, I'm not a member. I've always found that uh, it's kind of elite and, and the, the membership price is a little too high for me, right? Uh, but I understand, man, it's got, like, it's got everything. It's got the marble counters and it's fancy and salons and spas, man. And my understanding is that there's like four membership levels at Lifetime. And there's a level called the Diamond Level Member. Um, they tell me that in Minnesota, that costs $190 a month if you want to be diamond level. If you're on the West Coast, it's like over 300 I mean, you got the podunks down here, right? You can just come in there and get a towel, maybe. But man, if you're in diamond level, man, everything, the spa, salon, right, is all yours, right? You get a free massage. You got all the equipment, the hot tubs, the pools, throw in a smoothie, right? You're elite, you're diamond, all for $190 a month. Have at it, right? And some of us are in no way. But however, what if the, the owner of that corporation called you and said, I'm the founder. This thing is mega and growing. There's 160 uh, facilities and growing all around the nation. We're the biggest, we're the best in America. And I have the ability to gift you the diamond membership for the rest of your life. It's on me. It's all yours. Now, what would you do with that gift? What would you do with that membership? Would you get off that phone and say, well, oh, thank you. Eh, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, I think I'll just sit here the rest of my life on my sofa, just be frumpy and grumpy, right? And, and I won't don the doors of that, that club. Or you'd be like, man, I'm going to check that out. I am now a diamond level member at Top Line. I'm, I'm getting to that spa, man. I'm going to let them pamper me. I'm going to the salon and massage and right. And, you know, next thing I know, I, I get to use all this equipment. I get to use all those pools and tracks and, and all the fitness club is all free to me and do some exercises. Next thing you know, I'll be feeling pretty good, right? I'll be getting in shape, man. 
you're probably going and experiencing all that that diamond level has for you. This is what God has in mind for you, that he wants to give us all of his blessings and his love and his identity and especially his power in, in us to live in a way. Embracing our true identity and purpose in Christ helps us reach our full potential, that we don't have to live in mediocrity, but we can live in strength and confidence. And so Paul can't stop it. He continues to write. You can read more this next couple of weeks, chapter one, chapter two. I can't read it all, preach through it this morning, but you can read it. He says in verse 18, I pray, and we'll find in Ephesians that Paul is praying a lot because he can't be there on grounds. He's back in Rome. And so he's praying for these people. And what's he pray for? I pray that the eyes of your heart, the phrase eyes of your heart is the deepest part of our life. This is the inner part that it would be enlightened. It would awaken and see it. This flood of knowledge and light would come upon us. I like what Eugene Peterson, he, he paraphrased it this way, that we would grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life for those his followers. We'd grasp the immensity of this glorious way. Oh, it's like the diamond level. I, I get it. Wow, I'm, I'm that member. Let me get into this. This is the glorious inheritance. It's not just for heaven. It's also for right now that there is a power, there is a love, there is a purpose, there is identity for us. He goes on and says, uh, and it is incomparable, great power for us. See, I would submit to you that a lot of times we don't live into that. We don't even know what that means. It's great power in us. Who believe the power is the same as the mighty strength. A lot of times we just feel really weak in our faith. We're really we're not sure how to pray. And next week we're going to talk about chapter three that uh, that to understand what God can do in and through our lives collectively and individually. You have to come back for that for sure. And so starting this new year, my friends, I want to encourage you: don't settle for less than what you were created for. Don't settle for less than what you created for. A lot of times we miss it. I can easily miss it. We're just going for good stuff rather than the great stuff for Christ Jesus. We settle in our faith of just even barely making it Christian faith. Now, Paul also goes in chapter two and he talks about one other aspect of fully leaning into our full potential in Christ Jesus. And that is where we are at positionally. And so he explains in the next chapter where we were positionally. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. You were just dead, right? You, you didn't even know you were dead, but you're just following along with everybody else in the world. It's like, what are you doing this weekend? What's important to you? And you're just going culturally, just kind of going whatever satisfies the flesh, your selfishness, your pride, and, 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 and status with God, you were dead. In fact, eternally, you were dead, all right? However, but because of what? His great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy. Anybody need mercy? What did he do? He made us alive with Christ Jesus, even when we were dead in our transgressions. People don't do that. People make sure that we pay our price before we can get there. But when we couldn't pay the price, God said, in my mercy, I'm willing. And it's by grace that you've been saved. So he made us alive. I love that word, alive. 
I got a book in my office that I've had for years called Fully Alive. I have to remind myself, God wants me to live fully alive. Here at Faith Brook, we use the word thrive. In fact, our mission here at the church is to lead people into a new and thriving life in Christ Jesus. People, I don't know if I'm thriving. I'm half exhausted half the time. I got problems and I'm just, my attitude is down. But to help us to thrive, you have to understand when we understand our purpose in life, all of a sudden we can thrive a little bit more. Oh, it's not all about me. It's all about what I can get and my selfishness. It's about God. And we break out and we get beyond ourselves and like, oh, life is bigger than just me. It's about God. And if I, can, if I can partner with God and see what God sees, then all of a sudden I'm thriving. I'm a little bit more freer. I'm a lot less selfish in my life. And when we start realizing our identity in Christ, you know, this person said about this, this person said something to me about myself that uh, demeaned me, insulted me. Maybe my parents thought of me this way or my peers thought of me this way. Christ sees me as this. I'm going to embrace that. I'm going to start seeing myself how God sees me according to his word, not according to my feelings, not according to my past. And before you know it, we are thriving. And we can thrive when we see our position that we used to be down here, we used to be dead, but now we are alive with Christ Jesus. In fact, he goes on, and God raised us up with Christ and seated him, us with him in heavenly realms. This is our new position in Christ. Do we see ourselves that way? Do we embrace that that way? That doesn't mean that we are God, but we are with God. In fact, when we invite Christ, God, into our hearts, his Holy Spirit comes in. But the Bible tells us that we are one. We abide with Christ. Holy Spirit helps us in everyday life, but we're also connected with him in the heavenly realms. This is our new position in Christ Jesus. See, it's, it's hard to embrace your potential without knowing your position. Who am I? Where do I stand with Christ? Oh, I, did, I, I, I yeah, I always felt like I was down here, but Paul reminds them and reminds us, that our new position is up with Christ Jesus. In his mercy, we are made alive with Christ Jesus. Now, this truth can set us free. This truth can help us take on life. This truth helps us have a new mindset of who we are, our identity, our purpose, and our position. And all of a sudden, we get a lot stronger in our faith and our, even our personality. Now, he has to remind them that this is all wrapped up because of one thing, and that is by grace, God's wonderful mercy and grace in our life. In fact, he goes on in verse 8 and 9. This is a very uh, monumental scripture. Um, if you're a long-term Christian and maybe you highlight some things in your Bible, I would say this right here is in the top 10. Why? Because it is super pivotal into our Christian faith. Because it is by grace that we are saved. If we're going to make it to heaven, it's not by works. It's not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. Now, it's going to take some faith to believe that. But it's going to be by grace, not by works. So, so we can boast. So a lot of times people can boast. Say, well, I've been a Christian for you know, 25 years. I've been in church. I, well, I'm a preacher, and I, and I memorized this Old Testament. What have you memorized, right? And my mom and dad, they used to be missionary. No, that's all by works. That's all. No, it's only by grace. 
In fact, let me ask you this question. If something would happen to you, or even, let's say, your neighbor or your loved one, and there was an accident, there was a heart attack, and before you knew it, man, you're, you're standing before God at the pearly gates. And he's like, oh, sorry you passed away. Sorry about that Mack truck that ran over you, okay, but you're here. And they say, well, why should, Jesus said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? How would you answer that? Why should I let you into heaven? I would suspect that most people would say, well, I hope to go to heaven because I've been a good person. Amen, right? Most people would say, well, I hope that you bring out the divine scales and you put all my good things against all my bad things and somehow my good things would, would outweigh my works of bad things and you would say, oh, okay, you made the line. Come on in. Your religious efforts, your good works, this uh, scripture rebuffs that. It is not by works so that no one can boast. It's by grace that Jesus Christ. Now we do good works. We do try to live holy and, and be moral people because of his grace. But moral works and religious, you'll never hardly hear me ever say the word religion around here. People say, are you a religious person? I'm kind of like, eh, not really. I'm a relational person. I, religion is works. It's trying to work hard to get God's appeasement. Can you please accept me? But when God so loved me and chose me, adopted me, it's a relationship by grace that we are saved. And then he wraps it up to remind them that what's your purpose again? Hey, for you are all created. Uh, you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which Christ prepared in advance for us. We're all about God's purpose to be holy, to reflect him, to live like him, and to do good works. This is the heart of God. Do you see that? This is your purpose. This is your identity. And, when you, and you will never reach your full potential without embracing your true identity, your true purpose, and your true position in Christ Jesus. And the good news is, no matter where you're at in your Christian faith, we can all get stronger especially in the next two months, to live into that strength. In fact, that's why I have these dumbbells up here. Some people say, man, I, I'm a strong Christian. I've been a Christian for a while. I've been through some classes and I know the Bible, these kind of stuff. And so you can lift a lot more. God still wants you to, to raise up and get stronger, to live deeper in him and not to settle. We settle so much in our Christian life and then we find ourselves kind of weak. And some people say, man, I don't, I don't know everything you have. You, you seem to be so much stronger, so down the line. Well, maybe you can just start something small. Maybe you feel like you're just a baby Christian and, and just pick up a little weight. And what can you do to start learning and growing in your faith? Before you know it, hey, I am getting a little bit stronger here. And we'll start reaching our potential in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> That's why I would encourage you to dive into the book of Ephesians. You can do it personally and privately uh, just to read through it. We're going to be in it for the next eight weeks. I'm really excited what God's going to teach us through this. And I want to encourage you to, uh, for this reminder, to grab one of these bracelets on your way out. It's called hashtag God Strong. I've been wearing mine for about a, a, a week, and uh, I'm not used to wearing a bracelet, but it's good for me because it reminds me of what am I trying to do here? I want to be strong. And sometimes in my flesh, or sad moments or something like this, I can want to give up or not pay attention. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I want to be God strong. Maybe you don't need to um, wear it. Maybe you can put it on your dress or whatever. Just to remind you, hey, uh, this, this winter, 
one of my missions, ambitions is to be God strong. You might work, wear to a school or work and people might, hey, what's that? And, and you can say, well, I, I want to be strong spiritually. I'm trying to be strong in my faith, strong in, in God. And this helps remind me uh, of that in my heart. So take one on your way out. You know, that's kind of what happened in that, at the end of that movie, J- Jumanji. These, these students started identifying with their new strengths, their abilities, and they overcame the game. All of a sudden, they jumped back into their normal high school, and they bump into each other. But they're all looking at each other in the eyes, knowing that they've been transformed. They know something now that they didn't. Their, their self-worth, their self-identity is much changed because they've been, they embraced a new mindset of who they really are or who they can be. It's the same way in our Christian faith, to lean in to God's true identity for us, to lean in to our position in Christ and the purpose that he's given each one of us. And to help us kind of do that, we're going to close with, by taking um, the Holy Communion. Uh, hopefully you got a chance to take one of these cups if you wanted to. Uh, to remind us of who we are in Christ Jesus. Um, many of you know the story. The night Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples. They called it the Last Supper. He grabbed the piece of bread. He broke it and, and gave thanks. And then he explained to them, when you take this bread, I want you to remember my sacrifice on the cross. Because I paid a high price on the cross for you. And you're not trash. I believe in you. I love you. I chose you. I adopted you. I predestined you. And I showed that on the cross. And when you take it, I want you to remember my sacrifice, but I also want you to remember your identity. Then he took the cup. After giving thanks about the cup, he said, this is going to be a new covenant. This, this wine is going to represent my blood and pretty soon they would see the blood on the cross and the blood would be a covering for our sin. And anytime you take the drink and the bread, you're signifying that grace, that forgiveness that only I can do through my blood and remembering my coming. But in the meantime, be strong in the God, be mighty in power. Some here might be watching. Some here might be here saying, you know, I I don't know if I'm right with God. I don't know even if I deserve this. And maybe God's been working in your heart to say, I'd like to start this new year being right with God. You know, as we just learned, it's not by works, nothing you can really do except by faith, receiving his love and his gift and allowing him to be first place in your life. Before we take these elements, I'd like to have just a little prayer. There might be someone here that says, yeah, I I haven't done that in a long time. I want to be saved. I want to be right with God. I want to be strong in God. So if you wouldn't mind, let's just take a moment, close your eyes. Maybe you might be at your home, in the living room, someplace, listening in. Say, Jesus, I know that I have offended you. I know that I haven't been the best but you so love me and you are willing to still choose me and you're willing to still predestine me. I I want that in my life. Please forgive me of my unrighteousness and my sins. I, I take this cup today. I take this drink. Remembering that 
the, the drink, the blood covers my sins. Only your blood can suffer my sins. And I receive that by faith. That your cleansing power, your forgiveness, your atonement can start new in my life. That I'm a new person in you. Adopted and new. My friends, I want you, when we take the drink, that was your prayer. And when you feel that, that drink going down your throat, that's a covering. And by faith, we're going to see that and feel that and say, God, you're covering all my sins and I am whole. I am forgiven. I am cleansed and new in you and a new life in Christ Jesus. If you're watching this online, you might just go get a, a glass of water or something, a little cracker. But we're just going to remember our identity through the elements of Christ. So I want to encourage you to uh, turn it over to the bread and let's all together kind of pull that top off, take that wafer out. And let's take it in remembrance of his sacrifice and our identity in Christ Jesus. Let's take it together and be thankful. Now we take the cup and we're going to peel off the top gently and in a unified way being the family of God knowing that salvation comes through his blood, his grace let's take it and receive it and be thankful If you wouldn't mind, let's stand and I'll close this out in prayer this morning. Gracious God, I'm so thankful for the Apostle Paul. He knew what we needed to hear 2,000 years after he wrote these. He was writing these words to these vulnerable Christians in Ephesus. He was also writing these words on us today who are vulnerable. For we have a tendency to just to be weak in our faith, to just be content and settle for just barely having uh, some, some relationship with you. But God, today, starting today, we want to be strong in you. We want to be mighty in your power. And I pray, God, that you would help us have a desire to remind ourselves to be strong in you, to continue to look in your word the next eight weeks how it applies to our life to reach our full potential in Christ Jesus. And Father, if there's someone that's online or here today that said that prayer, say, God, I want to be new in you. I take this drink and just and by faith, knowing that, that this is a symbol of forgiveness of my sins, I receive that by faith. I'm a new in Christ. I pray that they would make that known to me or someone, uh, one of our staff members, God, that this will be a new beginning for them. We love you. We need you. We go in your power and your grace. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.